where we answer your Bible questions with our guest speaker. I'm your host, Tina. You can find our videos on Facebook or YouTube, or you can even listen to us on podcast. Just enter Bible Ask. This week, we're excited to introduce our guest speaker, Priscilla Santos. Priscilla, would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Priscilla Santos. I'm a nurse um, in Southern California. And I wanted to um, also share that I'm part of a ministry called The Creation Table. Um, it's a children's vlog uh, where we show children cute, creative experiments they can do at home, but then also show a spiritual lesson at the end to just encourage them to get to know God on a personal level. You can find it on YouTube. I'm working on video number three, but we have two solid videos out that we would like you to check out. That's wonderful, Priscilla. We're always happy to hear that. You know, we're not just doing ministry for adults, but also for kids. That's a wonderful opportunity to, um, to serve God. And um, we know that we need to train up our children in the way in which they should go so that when they're older, they don't depart from it. And that's just a wonderful ministry. Thank you so much for that. And you'll see it on our screen. So that'll lead us into our first question, which comes from Dominique. And they ask, what are some good prayers to ask God to help end the coronavirus? All right. Well, thank you so much, Dominique, for that um, question. I think it's very relevant uh, with COVID-19 going on. And I'm pretty sure it's not, you're not the only one asking about that or even doing that prayer. Now, there might be some people who might look at it and be like, how are you going to ask that from God? But I want to um, encourage you that you can come to God with any of your petitions, big or small. God is a powerful creator God. He's not intimidated by the size of our prayers. He's also a loving and gentle confidant. And so he cares about even the smallest, minute details of our lives. So we can truly go to God with anything that we have. And even in Psalms 46, 1 through 3, he says that um, he's our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He encourages us to go to him. He wants us to find peace and love and joy with him. So I encourage you to um, pray to God. Now, when I do pray, I want to segue that um, when I do, it is not to control God. When I pray, it's not a means of me being like, okay, I want this. Give it to me. <laughs> um, or I see the reason for this. So you must see it as the priority that I see it in henceforth. It's an automatic. Yes, it's not. That's not how prayer works. Prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue. It's an experience between me and God where we connect. And um, we actually get a verse in the Bible that tells us a little bit more about prayer and how to really look at requests. It says here in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if he asks anything, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, the first thing to notice about that is that we can be confident that God hears us. We can go to him with everything, anything, and in any attitude that we have. Um, as far as like whether you're angry, you're sad, you're joyful, you're um, livid, God can handle that. And he still wants you to come to him confidently in prayer. Uh, but notice too, it also says according to his will. That doesn't mean my will. That doesn't mean Tina's will. That means God's will and allowing him to um, do what he believes is right. Remember, God knows the end from the beginning. God knows what can be, what could be, what should be. And he's ultimately going to 
lead us into the best alternative there is. And when I pray, asking for his will, I need to be prepared for whatever answer there is and choose to trust him no matter what. And I'll, I'll give you two examples of that. When I first started ministry, uh, there was a time where I uh, met a woman who um, I ended up selling some materials to, and then I met her two, no, one to two years later. <laughs> and uh, she was like, do you remember me? I was like, yeah. And we ended up catching up and I was like, so it's been a while. How have you been? And she was like, I don't know if you remember this, but the last time we saw each other, I had stage four or stage three. Yeah, stage three breast cancer. And you prayed for me asking God to heal me if it was his will and to give peace to my family. She's like, well, that week I went back to the doctor and the cancer was gone. Amazing answer to prayer. Uh, fast forward to two weeks ago and found out that a friend's family member had COVID-19 and was in the hospital uh, critical and we prayed the same prayer, Lord, please give healing if it be your will, and please give peace to the family. Um, and recently found out that that person passed away. Same prayer, same God, um, but totally different outcomes. But this is going to be a faith trip when we ask God. It's a part of growth. It's a part of that relationship that we have. And I'm encouraged by Jeremiah 29, 11, where God tells us, I know the plans that I have towards you, plans of peace and not of evil. Whatever God chooses and attends or allows to happen, he does that with our peace, our best, our good in mind and not of evil. So as you pray, which I encourage you to pray, if you want to pray about COVID-19 and asking God to stop it, by all means, do you? <laughs> that is your relationship with God and you can talk about it. But um Remember, it is going to be a faith trip. It's going to be a faith trip for all of us. There's All of us are in different circumstances right now. Some are working, some are not working, some are sick, some are not. Um, we, need to, we need to be willing to hang on to God no matter what the answer will be. And remember in Revelation 21, 5 through 4, or 4 through 5, he tells us that he will wipe away all of our tears. And he will bring peace to and healing to what is broken. So I hope that answers your question. Great question. Amen, Priscilla. And that's a wonderful uh, and important way to remember to approach prayer, that we need to not just pray, but pray according to God's will. And we know 1 John 5, 14, it says, you know, if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. Amen. So no matter what the outcome, we know God is listening to our prayers. And that um, in and of itself gives us a lot of peace and reassurance. So our next question comes from Art, and they ask, I don't get it, and I struggle with how Jacob, after lying and deceiving his father with help from his mother, to become the chosen one. Is there something lost in translation? It says God was not happy with his brother Esau, but God is in control. Why didn't he step in and change him and not have in his word that being by being deceitful, you can get what you want. Please help me. Well, um, Art, I think honestly, that is definitely a cool question. Um, as far as like, why did God allow that to happen versus why did he choose this person versus that person? Like what was going on there? So very cool question. Um, you know, when I heard it, I was immediately reminded of 1 Samuel 16, where Samuel is told by God to go to the house of Jesse to, to um, 
anoint the next king of Israel. And when he goes there, he sees David's brothers and he's like, these men are awesome. These would be great kings. And God's like, actually, I'm looking at the heart. That scrawny one over there is going to be the king. And he's like, about that. And so like, it just, it goes to show that God looks far deeper than we do. Um, and with that said, I mean, if you look at David's life, David was far from perfect. I mean, there was so much drama in his life, murder, adultery, war, the man, um, it was hot mess, <laughs> just a hot mess. But um, he also has these beautiful moments and even this arc of redemption where he just, he sees his need for God and he sees the influence that he has and he wants to be an influence for God to his family and he dies uh, trying to be an influence for his family. Um, and that's not a secluded event. I mean, Simon Peter, he had a temper, he was violent. God transformed his life and he became a leader of the church. He brought a centurion even into the church. Uh, then we have Rahab, she was a prostitute, she was a liar. God used her to not only help the nation of Israel, but through his, her line came Jesus. So this is not just secluded to David's story. We see it, this redemption all throughout history. And, it's, and we see it too in the story of Jacob. So if we go to the story of Jacob, it's actually found in Genesis 25. Um, and it starts in verse 21, but it goes all the way to chapter 35. So it's 10 chapters of just um, this whole family business. And uh, yeah, 10 chapters of family craziness. If my family craziness was in the Bible, it'd probably take more than 10 chapters, <laughs> but I'm glad it's not there. <laughs> but we get to see more to how God works even within families. So um, even if you have disruption and craziness in your family, God can still bring order, harmony, and peace. But uh, let's go there. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25. Um, and we're going to go to verses let's see here, 21 through 23. It says here, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Um, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separate from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So even before they were born, even before they did anything, God already chose Jacob. And actually in Romans, um, this verse comes, or it's alluded to as well, where the, it says the babies didn't do good or evil, but God already chose Jacob. And we don't know too much on why. <laughs> I mean, we have little uh, snippets here and there, but it's very interesting when you see the life of Jacob and Esau. Esau was more into hunting. He obviously didn't give too much priority over his inheritance because I mean, he sold it for food. Um, and if you see Jacob, he's actually in the tents like his ancestors or his, um, his father and his forefathers before him. It seems like he's almost getting ready to practice um, the role even before the inheritance is given to him. Very interesting. But um, we know what happens. Jacob, of course, tricks his brother. He tricks his father. He goes into exile. And to answer your question, God does step in. Like God doesn't leave the chaos and it's like, wow, that's pretty messed up. Good luck with that. God steps into the situation. And when Jacob is returning to his homeland, he hears that Esau with a lot of men are coming to meet him. He of course thinks he's going to die. He actually is visited by a divine visitor 
and starts to wrestle. And he's not just wrestling with divinity. He's wrestling with his own history. He's wrestling with all that he's done. He's wrestling with guilt, with shame, all of it. And in the end, God renames him from Jacob to Israel. So God gives him a new identity. God gives him a new name. Uh, he even allows me, it's like he's saying, let's start over this time with me. And I hope that answers your question. Yes. It's interesting how God chose Jacob over Esau when Jacob was so flawed, but God allows redemption to happen for Esau and for Jacob and for them to come to a better place that there's peace in the family. And through that story and those histories come all the other stories of the Bible that we read, including the coming of Jesus. So it's just interesting how that happens. Um, it's one of those things where when we go to heaven, uh, we can ask God to uh, help us dive a little bit deeper into uh, the whys of it. But um, I really, I think this is very important to see too, that one, God doesn't give up on us. Two, that God is in the business of restoring families. And three, um, God has a purpose for our lives and there's a redemption that can happen. Jacob could have chosen not to be Israel, but he did. He allowed God's renaming of him to happen, and he chose that route. So some things to keep in mind as we move forward. I hope that answers your question. Very cool question. Amen. Thank you so much, Priscilla. And we definitely see the beauty in redemption through that story. And I just love how, you know, the meaning of, of Jacob's name, it, it meant deceiver. You know, he was yeah. born a deceiver. He was born a sinner, just like all of right. us. But right. his name, yeah, but his name became Israel, which is Prince of God. And mm -hmm. you know, a prince of God, that means it's the son of God. Um, you know, we become mm -hmm. God's children. And mm -hmm. so just like um, Jacob, who, you know, didn't come from a perfect background, sure. not just like most of us, God can still use us to do great things and be part of uh, his heavenly kingdom. Mm -hmm. so, thank you again so much, Priscilla. And that leads us to our last question today. And it comes from Elle, who asks, are we to believe God says through Paul, that women should not have authority over men in church as well as in society in general? Is every utterance from Paul directly from God? If so, we can safely say that this thinking has caused much violence against women throughout time and egregious human rights violations across the world. Even President Jimmy Carter drew a parallel between bad male behavior toward women and this interpretation that is sexist um, as if it was God's desire. It's too bad that churches don't promote an interpretation that would protect women and realize the old passages are so far outdated that it drives good people away from church and in believing at all. Let's face it, Paul was not the brightest bulb um, he saw needed a major intervention himself, a sexist if ever there was one. So it sounds like there's two questions at the beginning followed kind of by um, uh, L's line of thinking. So, uh, Priscilla, uh, how would you answer this? Um, well, thank you so much, L. I think this is a very relevant topic and an important one um, because we want to know what our role is in church. And I also believe that God does not want his word to be used as a weapon of oppression ever. God wants us to be encouraged by his word. He wants us to be saved by um, what we learn about him and about his saving grace. Um, so I, I apologize if that a behavior was ever given to you by another person. I know that's not what God intended. 
I'm sorry if that ever happened to you. Um, I know that when we, we serve a God of love and of truth, and that uh, he wants to encourage us in the ways that we learn about him and how we uh, learn how to go into his church and with his people. Uh, on a personal note, um, this was also a very, uh, very important question for me. I'm a pretty driven young woman, um, and through God's leading and um, his grace, I have found much success with work and with ministry, and not just the ministry of nursing, but with ministry and church. And um, in my life, I was very curious as to Paul's words when it comes to women in ministry. And if anything, I have like looking at, okay, what is the expectation? Looking at my options, my opportunities, like what are there? I have found Paul to actually be very encouraging um, when you dive deep into what he's talking about. So, uh, you don't have to agree with me and that's okay. <laughs> but um, I know that what I have found in the Bible is that God truly values the voice of women um, throughout the Bible and in ministry itself. And so does Paul. Um, now, Paul, he gets called a lot of things, bigot, sexist, uh, false prophet, um, obnoxious, rude, like he... <laughs> Brother Paul, <laughs> he just, he uses str such strong language. People respond usually very strongly when strong language is given. Um, so I'm not surprised, but that doesn't mean that we ignore what he says. If anything, that should mean that we dive deeper to truly understand what he's saying. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people, when they use his words um, in a manner to oppress other people, it's usually taken out of context. So we want to make sure that we understand context as we move forward. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at different aspects of the verses that we're reading. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. Um, that, mean, that doesn't mean, what that doesn't mean, let me put it that way, is that this is stories where a little bit of truth is in That that can be farther from the truth. If anything, all of this is true. All of this holds what God wants us to learn about his character, how um, people are, human behavior, God's reaction to human behavior, and his promises for us and his plan for us. All of scripture is for our learning, for our inspiration, to help us to understand what is true, what is not true. Um, so we're, when we read the Bible, we're going to read it as it is, and then we're going to look into the context. And the reason we do that is because we want to see what was the underlying meaning behind this? What was the rationale to him saying this? We can usually find a far deeper, powerful meaning when we look into the context of what we're reading. And when we do that, the third thing we're going to go over is how applicable it is. When we understand the context, we can understand the root meaning where God's focus was um, in allowing that to be put and how we can apply that for us today. So we're going to look at how it reads. We're going to look at the context. And we're going to look at how I can apply that for myself today. Okay. All right. So we're going to dive into one of the, uh, um, we're going to dive into two passages of Paul. The first one is actually in first Timothy, first Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two, verses eight through 15. All right, one second, my friends. Okay, 
Now bear with me, these patches, these passages, um, they're not short. <laughs> uh, so we're going to try to um, be conscious of time, but we're going to go ahead and read it because we want to answer your questions um, as efficiently as we can. So chapter two. Now, some background before we begin. In the early church, uh, there was a lot of structure that needed to take place. A lot of people were still trying to understand who Jesus was, what that meant to them, what that meant with Roman authority still in place, what that meant with the Sanhedrin uh, persecuting them. And we had people like Peter, James, John, Paul, trying to help create order where there was so much chaos. And this is one of the letters to the early church to help create order where there is going to be evidently um, a lot of chaos. So uh, bear with me. So we're gonna go ahead and read the whole thing and then break it apart. So starting actually um, in verse eight, all the way to 15. So it says here from Paul, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adore themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man that, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So there is a lot. <laughs> We're going to break it apart. So verse 8, I like how he actually starts with men. And you can actually get a picture of what's kind of going on with the church, why he is addressing them and going to them even in the first place. It says here, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, Paul's not one to waste words. Um, for him to say without wrath and doubting, it makes me wonder if there was wrath and doubting going on. Like what was happening in that church? Were they fighting? Were they arguing? Were they having doubts of who Jesus was? And notice he says, pray everywhere. What is prayer? Prayer is connection with God. So he's like, you guys need to connect with God again everywhere. Not just at church, not just at home. Like literally you guys need to pray everywhere to address the wrath and the doubting. So it's very interesting how he first starts off with men like, hey, there's something going on here. It's not helping your church. You need to pray and connect with God again so you guys can address this. And then he says, in like manner, and he talks to the women. So in that same note, in that same preface of, hey, we need to help the church. There's a lot going on here. You guys need to get back to connection with God. He talk, starts talking to women. And one of the first things he brings up is dress, modesty, versus 9 through 10 talks about dressing with uh, modesty and propriety or discretion, if you will. So... Um, let's talk about context. Culturally, if someone at that time had braided hair or short hair, it was actually considered a sign of promiscuity or um, prostitution, which I'm sure the women were not trying to promote <laughs> when they were going to church. Um, not only that, there was actually a spiritual element involved. Um, pagan temples during that time um, had prophetesses in those temples or servants, uh, females, who would actually do prostitute-like acts 
to create an experience. So they would use sex as an, a spiritual experience in pagan temples. So in order to get away from that imagery, Paul is saying, hey, maybe stay away <laughs> from braided hair, from not dressing um, modestly, because we're going to give the wrong impression, not only of you ladies, but of who God is. That's not the experience God is trying to promote. He's trying to promote something deeper, something saving, something transformative. He's not trying to promote sexual immorality. God does not work that way. And so when we understand that, we see, okay, Paul is actually trying to help the women to stay away from being addressed in a manner that they might not want to be addressed. Not only that, he's protecting God's image and he's protecting the church for being confused as something that it's not which is very important when you think of the Sanhedrin who's watching them and the Roman um, Empire and a lot of other, um, what we would consider other countries at that time who are watching them. They're setting already a precedence that they're very different from anything the world has ever seen. Um, now, how can I apply that to myself? <laughs> um, so the applicable aspect, um, well, I can look at myself and see, like, am I dressing modestly? Am I dressing in a manner that I look like I have a transformed relationship with Christ? And it's not, not to be fake, but to be real. Like, I have a relationship with God. I'm looking at his purity, his loveliness, his goodness. I want to reflect that as much as I can by his grace and his power. Like, let me do all I can to reflect the God that I love. Not only that, I want to give the right representation of the church that I go to. This is a church that promotes purity, that promotes goodness, non-judgmentally, but promotes it in a loving way and promotes the God who we love as well. So a few items there that we can um, consider for ourselves as we're looking at this in an applicable kind of way. We can look at, and I know that modesty, um, levels of modesty are different for different people, and that's okay, but it's about looking at, okay, how is God leading me in this? How am I promoting him in this? How am I um, showing the identity that he gave me as I dress? So things to consider on a personal note there, but let's continue. Um, so verses 11 through 15, I think that's honestly where a bulk of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of the controversy, if I can call it that, um, stems from is the 11 through 15 verses because he uses the word submission women submit to the men now we're going to look a little bit later on him using submission of men being submissive to men so what does he really mean by submission he's meaning respect he's meaning um listening he's meaning yielding even at times to someone who we want to be leaders for us if that makes sense um and creating a form of harmony and he mentions genesis so why would he mention Adam and Eve? Well, we're going to segue very quickly and go into Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve's story is found um, from Genesis 1 through 3. And we see that God creates Adam. And then he creates Eve. But what, before he creates Eve, he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to create for him a help me. Now the word, the root word for help me actually translates to help protection or aid. So there's actually kind of even like a guard military language there. And it shows that not only 
does man protect woman, but woman was created to be a part of protecting man. There's this partnership, this unity in protecting each other and helping each other forward. Now, as I thought about it, I was like, why would he mention Eve and Adam? Well, how did Eve not protect Adam? Remember the story, she fell, she was tempted by Satan, she chose to sin, she influenced Adam, he then chose to sin, and in that sense, she was not protecting him from sin. In fact, she was influencing him towards sin and not towards God. And so as I looked at that, I was like, okay, why would Paul allude to Genesis uh, 1 through 3 and to Eve and what was going on there? And the more I thought about it, I'm like, were these women teaching something that was encouraging more sinfulness rather than godliness? Like, what were they teaching where they were not protecting those around them? And if you look at the whole context of Paul's talking to them, like the whole theme that he's going on, he's like, there is not enough prayer. There is wrath. There is doubting. And women submit. Like, um, you guys, what you're saying probably isn't what, excuse me, what reflects God. I have to cough. I'm so sorry. <coughs> so that's also something to consider and on a personal note like we need to consider when we're teaching are we really teaching according to what the bible says or are we teaching more on what we feel it should say or on what we think the culture thinks it should say or are we really allowing God to teach us what to bring to the table, what to say, and how he would like us to say it, and leave it at that. Like, Eve should have walked away from the apple. Are we really walking away from temptation when we're speaking and when we're teaching? So something to bear in mind, also respecting structure that God has in place, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but there's a lot to unpack here. But one of the biggest ones, of course, would be that influential factor that we have. Um, now, when we look at this, we need to remember that God has a very special plan for us. And God has amazing, um, amazing plans for women. Even in this section of scripture, notice that Paul ends with, talking about Eve and childbirth. Now that procreational aspect reflects God's creative aspect. So God still had much significance for women. And Paul ends on that. He's like, look, I like, we need to address this, but you guys are very significant. I don't want you to think that you are not important to the church. God doesn't, God never wants women to feel like they are not important to the church structure um, or important to anything regarding that spiritual walk. And when we look at Paul, he's involved with a lot of women who are involved in church structure. We have uh, Phoebe, who's a deaconess, that's leadership. We have Lydia, who was a businesswoman. She hosted churches at her home, that's leadership. We have Priscilla, who with Aquila gave Bible studies to Apollos, who became one of the leading uh, leaders, <laughs> one of the leading leaders of the church. Um, and that's, incredibly significant and that's throughout the entire bible too we see god he had miriam be part of the spiritual leadership of israel and she was part of music ministry 
we had Deborah, who was a prophetess, an amazing one. Her story is incredible. You should check it out. Um, also, we had Esther, who advocated for her people. We had Ruth, who showed us what ministry in the home looks like. We see all these different forms of ministry, and God has such a significant place for you. He never wants you to forget that, and, ne and neither does Paul. And if you don't believe me, we're going to go into Ephesians and check it out, because God does lift up women, and so does Paul. So we're going to go to Ephesians 5. Um, let me get there myself. One second, my friends. Okay. So Ephesians 5. And we're going to start in verses uh, 22. Now, verses 20 through 21, Paul is actually talking to men, submitting to one another. He says, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of Jesus our Lord, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So don't think that women are the only ones singled out when it comes to that word submission. It really is about respecting, respecting who's in charge, respecting structure, respecting leadership. And then he goes into marriage, Christ, and the church. Now, before I go into this, a lot of people say, well, Ephesians is about marriage. It's not about church structure. But if you look in Genesis, the first marriage was a church. Like Adam and Eve had communion and fellowship with Jesus. That was a church setting. Same thing, the house, the home is supposed to be an example of what the church is. As there is harmony in the home, should there be harmony in the church? So let's go ahead and read it. Starting in verse 22, going all the way to 33. Uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Yeah, we see that word respect, and we see allusion to Genesis. When we look at this, if anything, we see the relationship that church and the home should be. Women respecting their husbands, husbands submitting to God, and God leading everything. And as and then we see it going the other way. As God protects the church and gave his life for the church, the husband should protect his wife and give his life for his wife. If anything, in these verses, there's a lot more pressure on the men than there is on the woman. Like, God is saying, you know, just as I would do everything to help the church and uplift the church, so men should respect their wives, lift up their wives, and do everything they can for their wives. It's a very beautiful, like, creation of harmony that, unfortunately, um, we don't always see. We don't always see that in families. We have broken families, and we don't always see that in church. We have broken churches. But notice, there are significant roles for all of us. God holds us in such high esteem, and so does Paul. Paul wouldn't go on and on about how marriage 
can be amazing and how the church can be amazing if he didn't respect both parties. He wouldn't even mention women if he didn't think that they had a role to play. And remember too, Paul's the one that created the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Paul is all about the love. <laughs> Paul is all about creating that harmony, creating that beautifulness and allowing it to be part of all of our lives. Now, I know that we covered a whole lot of, but I do want to say, I do want to say this, um, that Christ is about lifting you up. And as we move forward, um, some points that are applicable, you have a place in ministry. You have a most definite place in ministry. Remember, God is not opposed to you teaching. God is opposed to people disrespecting each other. God is opposed to elements where we don't respect the structure that he put in place, nor when we create chaos when there should be harmony. Like, as women, like, fulfilling our role as women, we should be supporting, aiding, and protecting truth and the church. Um, not only that, getting involved. Please don't ever feel like in ministry there's no place for you. There's so many places. There's Bible working, um, medical missionary work, missionary work. I mean, I've been those things. I've been a logistics director, evangelism director, an outreach director. Um, I've been an associate director. There's so much you can do in ministry that I hope you don't feel that you can't explore. Let me word that differently. <laughs> I hope you feel um, that you are able and encouraged to explore the different um, parts of ministry as God has led and as God has pointed in his word. Um, there are so many places for you and you are incredibly significant. God has such an incredible role for men and for women. And he wants us to work together in harmony, creating a beautiful union that reflects Christ, just like a marriage should. Um, not only that, um, what, another thing that I believe is really applicable, if you have, if you find in scripture something that might confuse you or maybe ruffle those tail feathers a little bit, um, search it out, dig deeper. You'll find that there is context there that actually reflects something beautiful um, that reflects something where we can grow from. Um, I hope that you are encouraged to look deeper into it. I hope that if you encounter another piece of scripture that maybe you don't agree with, that you look deeper into it. Um, even Peter in, um, in his books, he actually says that we women are incredibly influential. Um, we not only influence those around us, but we influence those that are coming after us, all the young women that are looking at us. So your role, never forget it. Be encouraged that you are incredibly valued by God, incredibly valued by Paul. And we just need to continue to lift up truth and lift up each other. I hope that helps. And I hope you feel encouraged to look at Paul with a little bit more grace, if I can put it that way. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for your question. Amen. Thank you so much, Priscilla. And I uh, really appreciate your answer and just looking at the context of what, you know, Paul was saying. And I think that that's just so important that um, we definitely always put this, the scripture, it should be line upon line, precept upon precept. Right. And, you know, someone once said, a text without any context is nothing but a pretext. 
Mm. And so it's so important that we look at the whole chapter. And when I look at this chapter in First Timothy 2, um, that was being, you know, addressed, I definitely see how, you know, it says that the women were to learn in silence with all subjection. They were, it was a time of learning. These women were, they're not dressing modestly and the men are angry. <laughs> Church is not in a state where they need to be teaching. They need to be learning. And right. you know, I, I definitely see the beauty in that, you know, um, and also like you're saying, look at everything Paul said. And if you look at Galatians 3.28, he's the one that said, you know, in Christ, we're neither Jew nor Greek, we're neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Amen. And, you know, Paul's also saying, you know, we're equal. And what a beautiful right. and important fact that, you know, Paul just, you know, tries to bring up that, you know, we all have a different role and it's valuable. And he's saying, you know, women, if, you know, just like Eve, you have a humongous influence that could affect right. the rest of the world. So you right. influence for God. And right. I think you know, he definitely wasn't trying to oppress women, but rather show us our significance. Amen. So just thank you again so much, Priscilla. I really appreciate your answers today. And for all of you listening, we're just so grateful that you tuned in. And we just look forward to our next show where we'll be able to answer more questions. So keep them coming. All right. You, thank you and God bless.